I wonder if you have ever stopped to consider uh, just how powerful air is. Common everyday air makes it possible for planes like this CX Galaxy to fly. And not just fly at 30,000 feet over sea level, but carry hundreds of tons of cargo as well. Air that is in pressurized ballast enables large, huge nuclear submarines like the one that's going to be on the slide behind me to dive at enormous depths of the ocean and then resurface whenever and wherever they want to. And given enough velocity, common everyday air becomes a devastating wind that can destroy whatever's in its path. And in this picture you'll see, you can see how wind just snapped these trees in half like toothpicks. Also, when you contain air in a series of hoses and valves and put it under enough pressure, it can bring commercial buses, tractor trailers, and even locomotives that are pulling dozens of fully loaded cars to a screeching halt. There is indeed power to be found in common everyday air. But that's not all. Air is what keeps you and I alive. If we were to seal off the doors of this sanctuary and cut off the airflow, you and I in five minutes would become brain damaged. So we cannot live without air. It's impossible. And yet like these examples that I have presented to you this morning, we give very little thought to air. It's just there. You can't feel it. You can't see it. You can't smell it. Well, that is unless you live in Los Angeles. But the truth is that air is amazing stuff. I just used a lot of air to try to prove to you that because something is invisible does not mean that it is unimportant or that it is weak. And the reason I bring this up is because as we continue in our series from John's gospel, it helps us to better understand something that Jesus said to his followers just prior to his arrest. Last week I told you when Jesus spent his last night with his disciples in the upper room, he shared some very troubling news with them. He told them that one of them was going to betray him. He said that Simon Peter would deny him. And if those two bits of information weren't upsetting enough, he explained to them that he would be leaving them soon. But in order to help them deal with their, with their sorrow and their fear, our loving Lord promised to send the Comforter, also known as the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all Christ followers are given this same precious gift the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ. When we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin and come into our hearts and our lives, he actually does in the form of his indwelling spirit. By the way, one of the most common words used in the scriptures to represent the Holy Spirit is none other than the word for air. In the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word ruach, and in the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma, which is where we get our English word pneumatic. And here's what I'm trying to get at this morning. Even though the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is invisible like air, he is certainly not impotent. In fact, he is just as vital in the life of a Christian 
as air is to the life of any human being. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 16 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind us and you can follow along. We're going to read where Jesus makes this heart calming promise to not just his disciples, but to all followers of Christ. John 14, verses 16 through 31, I'll be reading from the New International Version. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show us yourself? Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. In this scripture, Jesus promises the arrival of the precious Holy Spirit. And God's word has a great deal more to say about this gift of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, it is a subject that many people remain uninformed about. I mean, most Christians have a clear picture of God the Father. They, they, they know his power and his grace. It is quite obvious to them. Most people have a clear understanding when it comes to Jesus God's Son, but you'll find that our understanding of the Holy Spirit can be vague and fuzzy at best. I like what the late Paul Little wrote about the Holy Spirit when he said this, of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seems to be the least known and understood today. 
Yet he is most vitally and intimately involved in our initial conversion and birth into the family of God, as well as in the ongoing development of our Christian lives. Knowledge of an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit brings us power, joy, and hope, but when we neglect him through ignorance or indifference, we ensure spiritual poverty. Why is it that so many Christians know so little about this gift that Jesus promised us? Well, I think there are many reasons, and I want to share some of, some of them with you this morning. The first one is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit can be or is difficult to understand. And it seems to me that in these days, people tend to avoid anything that is difficult. They avoid complex truths. Too many of us are like college students who prefer to buy the cliff notes for a classical work rather than to go through the book itself. The second reason that we know so little about the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is placed third within the Trinity. Father first, Son second, Holy Spirit third. And I seriously believe in my heart that because of this ranking, many people unwittingly relegate the Holy Spirit to a place of unimportance. The assumption is that anything that is mentioned third or last can't be as, as, as great as what is before it. Another reason we neglect the Holy Spirit is there is a tendency to refer to the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as it. Many believers think of the Holy Spirit as a non-person, nothing more than, a, an, than an impersonal influence. And we'll talk more about dispelling those misconceptions in just a little bit. But I believe the main reason that the study of the Holy Spirit is avoided by so many believers is painfully obvious. And that is when people attribute bizarre actions to the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about people who are not acting in the Spirit, but they are acting out in their flesh, demonstrating public outbursts of nonsense and claiming that it came from the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about people who have barked like dogs and said they were barking in the Spirit. I'm talking about people who have let out blood-curdling screams. I'm talking about people who have laughed hysterically and uncontrollably and, and, and go on forever. I think the people who spread false teachings like that have given the Holy Spirit a bad rap, so to speak. And unfortunately, this has caused many believers to be sincerely confused and steer clear altogether of the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. But I'm here to tell you this morning that our God is a God of order. No true manifestations of his spirit will leave you confused or leave you offended. Nothing that he does is for our entertainment purposes. No gift that he offers is given to us for us to abuse, to distort, or to misrepresent. And furthermore, when there is a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, it's never weird. It's always a beautiful experience for everyone who is present. You will never leave a situation like that scratching your head in wonder. 
So in order to correct those misconceptions, we need to ask ourselves, what or rather who is the Holy Spirit? I phrase it this way because the first thing we must understand is that the Bible clearly teaches us the Holy Spirit is, an, is not an it, but a person. First and foremost, we see in verse 17 of the text that we read, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as him. But there are other proof texts as well. In the book of Acts, it tells us that the Holy Spirit speaks. In Acts 8.29, it says, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And because Philip obeyed the command of the Holy Spirit, a man with great influence in the Ethiopian government became a Christian and was baptized. There are likewise several passages that make clear the Holy Spirit does the work of a person. He testifies, he comforts, he reproves, he, he helps, he guides, he enables. A good example of this is found in Romans 8, 26, where it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what, he, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Another is 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is referring to the Holy Spirit distributing spiritual gifts to believers, and notice it says he, the person of the Holy Spirit, distributes just as he determines. The Bible also says the Holy Spirit can be quenched or, or stifled. In other words, you can say to the Holy Spirit as you would to any person, be quiet and stop talking to me. And I want you to think about that because I want to ask you, have you ever been guilty of that? Have you ever said, Lord, I don't want to hear any more about tithing, so quit telling me that I should? Or Lord, stop telling me that I need to be a part of the children's ministry. Or Lord, stop telling me that I need, to, I need to go to that person and make things right with them. Get off my case when it comes to reminding me that I need to witness to the guy who sits in the cubicle next to me at work. If you've ever done that, you have quenched the Holy Spirit. And that is something you would not and could not do to an it. You can only do that to a person. So the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force that we call upon like some genie in a bottle. He is a person, the person of God. One of the most dangerous approaches is when you think of the Holy Spirit as an it, as an influence, and not as a person. Because when you think that way, that the Holy Spirit is a mere influence or power then naturally, you know what your thoughts are going to be like? Your thoughts are going to be, how can I get a hold of the Holy Spirit and use it? But when you think of him in the biblical way, as a person of divine majesty and of glory, then your thoughts, they're going to be a whole lot different. You will instead start to think and wonder, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and use me? And this leads to the second concept that we must grasp if we want to understand this particular gift 
from our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit is not a substitute for God. He is God himself. In verse 16, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Instead of advocate, and other, other translations say counselor. The most important word, however, in that verse is that word another. When he says, he will give you another. It comes from the Greek word allo, which means another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit would be just like him. In the same way that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Over and over, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit possesses attributes that belong only to God. For example, Hebrews 9, 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This tells us that the Holy Spirit is eternal. In Psalm 193, or 139.7, David says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? That scripture makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Again, the Holy Spirit does work only God would do. He was involved in creation. Genesis 1-2 tells us, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He is involved in regeneration. I'm talking about the new birth that we experience when we become Christians. This is what Jesus was teaching in John 3, verses six through eight, where he said this, flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So every Christian is born of the spirit. But here's the most important point I wanna make this morning. The Holy Spirit is God. And I think the text that makes this very clear is found in Acts chapter five. Here we read about the time where Ananias and Sapphira sold property and they brought some of the proceeds and they put it at the feet of the, the apostles. They lied about what they were doing. They said that they were, were giving all of the funds from the sale to the church when in reality they were not. And when they did this, Peter confronted them in Acts five, three through four. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is this that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. In this bold accusation, Peter equated the Holy Spirit with God. So the Holy Spirit is completely personal and completely God. He is co-equal and he is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Son or the Father is. He is distinct from God, yet essentially one with God. This is an important point that we need to grasp because any study of the Holy Spirit must be understood in the context 
of the oneness of God. God is one God, not three, not two, but one. As Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is the way we must understand Christ Jesus. Jesus is not a second God, nor is he just one third of God. He is the eternal God, uniquely present in truly human life. In Christ, we encounter God himself, not just an emissary from God. Jesus is not God's secretary of state. In Jesus Christ, God is doing his own speaking. He is doing his own work. Jesus Christ is God, uniquely present in truly human being. Well, the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. He too must be understood in the context of oneness with God. The Holy Spirit is not a third God, nor one third of God. The Holy Spirit is God himself in the nearness and the power anywhere and at any time. This means, and please, Get this, the very divine presence incarnated in Jesus Christ is now present in his people. It's been described that the Holy Spirit is Christ within the Christian. And I like that. And I want us to try to understand for a moment how wonderful that reality is for you and me. Because this precious gift makes it more advantageous for us to live now than had we lived in the days when Jesus walked in bodily form on this earth. You and I, here and now, actually have it better off than the people who looked Jesus in the face and heard his voice. Why do I say that? Why does the Holy Spirit make things better for us than it was for Peter and James and John and all the others prior to Jesus' ascension to heaven? Well, the main reason is because, thanks to the Holy Spirit, God is, God is not only with us, he is in us. You see, when the Lord Jesus was walking this earth, he limited himself to living within that physical body that he was born into on that Christmas night. Don't get me wrong. This was an amazing descent for God to make. But even so, as a man, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is, he is with or rather within each and every Christian, no matter where they are. He is now able to be within us, as Matthew 28, 20 says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus is just not near us, like he was with his disciples as he was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee side by side, Jesus is now in us, as is the Holy Spirit. To show you what I mean, imagine if Jesus was physically in Jerusalem. The news comes on and they say, Jesus has arrived and he's in Jerusalem right now. I can tell you that every airline would start to get permission to send flights over to the Middle East. You wouldn't even be able to get a seat on the plane. Cruise ships would do the same thing and they would be filled up within hours. Trains would sell out as well. And even if you managed to get a ticket and even if you managed to arrive over there, you would deal with those large crowds of people and the truth is it would be nearly impossible to get within arm's reach of him let alone have any kind of a conversation with him. But because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
He is within us right here, right now, and always. Did you know that our English word for Holy Ghost, which is another word the scriptures use in referencing the Holy Spirit, has its roots in the Anglo-Saxon word from where we get our word guest? This should remind us that the Holy Spirit is indeed an ever-present holy guest in the lives of believers. As I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of each of us the moment we accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Isn't that remarkable? No matter where you are, if you're a Christian, God is in you. Not only that, he is always ready to help you. You never wake him up. You never interrupt his busy day when you call for his assistance. Morning, noon, and night, he is there for you, inside of you, available to give you power. He's there to give you guidance. He's there to give you comfort, whatever it is that he knows that you need. In verse 18, when Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, the word translated orphans was often used to speak of students or disciples, those who were orphans in the sense that for some reason they were deprived from the presence and the teaching of their beloved master or their rabbi. Well, Jesus promised his followers that it would never be like that. Thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, we would never be without our divine teacher, and we aren't. He goes everywhere we go. He faces every experience that we face. He confronts every decision that you and I have to confront. And he shows us the way to go. This is not scriptural, but I think what Ralph Waldo Emerson had to say, he hit the nail on the head. He said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Amen? Did you ever think you'd be amen in Ralph Waldo Emerson? Well, we are this morning. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Wouldn't you agree then that we have the advantage over these disciples who were with Jesus and limited to the, to the confines of an earthly body? Well, we do. Because God is not just with us, but God is in us. And since that is true, we have instant access to all the power that we need to do his work. Jesus promised when the Holy Spirit came that we would receive power in order to be God's representatives. And the book of Acts records that's exactly what happened. A group of followers who had been, who had been hiding behind locked doors after Jesus' crucifixion received power to convict sin-hardened souls. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as a result of this encounter with the Holy Spirit, they were given power to spread the gospel message to the four corners of the earth. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, that same day, 
Peter preached the sermon of his lifetime, and 3,000 people came to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Think of it. Peter, who had been afraid to speak in Jesus' defense just weeks before, was given the power to preach boldly and without fear. The Holy Spirit still empowers Christians like you and me this day just as confidently as he did for Peter. Now, I want to point something out to you. Even in the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit empowered his people. For example, if you'll read Judges chapter 14, 6, it talks about Samson. It says this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. The Holy Spirit empowered Samson to do that at that moment. But you've got to realize something. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was present like that in a person's life, but only sporadically, only when needed. The Spirit would come when needed because God's Spirit did not dwell in the hearts of men at that time. Well, through the gift of the Holy Spirit to Christians like you and me, God fulfilled his promise through Ezekiel when he said this in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So you see, in this way, not only does God's presence dwell in the heart of every believer, his empowering presence does as well. In the Holy Spirit, God chooses to be a power-sharing God. He cares enough to, to infuse us with his strength that we need in order to live in a manner of which he wants us to live. He enables us to say no to temptation. He empowers us to do his work and his will. And the, In fact, the sad truth is that, that we tend to limit God's work in our own personal lives by not allowing him to empower us. And this is what caused the late A.W. Tozer to write this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. So let me ask you this morning, what are you doing now that you could not do apart from the power of God's spirit. What sin are you seeking to overcome? What challenges in your life are you seeking to grow from? What difficult person are you trying to love? What risky ministry endeavor are you trying to take on? What are you doing that you couldn't do apart from God's spirit? Remember, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us Christians through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. If you are a Christian, God Almighty is living inside your being. His limitless capabilities are resident within you to enable you to accomplish God-sized tasks. And because he is in us, not only do we have access to his power, but number two, we also have all the guidance that we need while traveling down the road of life. And in case you haven't noticed, 
We are in some serious need of guidance, ladies and gentlemen. In a world that is as confusing as ours, with an ever-eroding moral base like we live in, we need someone to tell us what is right and what is wrong. We need someone who will tell us where to go and what to do. Perhaps this is why professional counseling is so, so popular today in, in life coaches. Everyone knows that life is hard. Everybody knows that, that life has its challenges and difficult decisions, so people will pay lots of money for expert guidance. They'll go to someone else to tell them what to do. But sadly, no matter how good they might be at what they do, most professional counselors only specialize in one area of human need. Some deal with family issues. Others know a lot about anger management. Some have expertise in the unique needs of adolescents, while others know how to help you with, with addictions and strongholds. So the guidance human counselors can provide is very limited at best. Plus, you have to go to their office during business hours, and you have to pay a handsome sum, sum of money. Not so with God. Not only is he available 24-7, he is more than qualified to counsel you and to guide you in every area, in every decision of your life. You're just not in the habit of going to him. In Isaiah 28, 29, he proclaimed, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. If you ask him, he will tell you where to go, what to say, and what to do. I have experienced his guidance in my life on many occasions. What a precious gift the Holy Spirit is. And it is vitally important that we allow, as believers, the Holy Spirit to direct us and to teach us. Give him permission to work in your life. We would all do ourselves a tremendous favor if we earnestly and if we actively relied on the power of God in our lives for everyday stability. Because he, the Holy Spirit, offers specific guidance. He speaks inside of our heads, providing supernatural insider information for living. The question becomes, are you seeking? Are you listening? This is a truly wonderful aspect about this gift. Because, you know, as a finite being, I have to use indirect means to guide your thoughts when I speak here on Sunday morning. I've got to express ideas in words so that you can hear them. I need to give them some physical form in order to communicate with you effectively, but God does not. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God can directly guide your thoughts without the aid of intervening sounds or images or people talking. You know, it kind of reminds me of the headset that the newscasters wear. They got that little ear thing in there. And that way the producer can tell them when a commercial break is coming. He can tell them when a news story just breaks and they go, this just in. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. Listen to him. He is in your ear if you are wise enough to listen. And through that still, small voice of his, he guides and he counsels us in so many ways. For example, he tells us how to pray. 
Again, back to Romans 8, 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's another version of the verse I already prayed, another translation of the verse I already read. Also, the author of the Bible, he helps us to understand its teachings. This is what Jesus was saying in John 16, 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. In this way, God's spirit helps us to understand the deep, deeper truths of his scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This morning, let me ask you, would you like to have this built-in counselor? Would you like to have this inner, inexhaustible power source available to you? Would you like to have God not just with you, but in you? Well, then you first must accept Jesus as Christ and Savior and Lord of your life. And when you do, you will receive God's Holy Spirit. I want to ask the worship team to come up here and help me out as I get near the end of this. This was the main point of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you already have this gift, listen to God's voice right now so you will hear how he is guiding you to respond to this message this morning. Perhaps he might be leading you into some ministry. Perhaps he's leading you to share your faith with a friend or, or a coworker or a family member. He might be leading you to become a member of this church body. However or wherever the Lord leads you, allow him to have his way in your life. Now I want to spend a few more minutes talking about the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We already discussed that once you receive Jesus as Lord, once you receive salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you as he does all believers. But there is, ladies and gentlemen, a special endowment of power that comes when you have a separate encounter with the Holy Spirit known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost that I briefly talked about earlier. They all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look again at Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house that they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the day that the Holy Spirit of God was released upon this world and to God's people. But I want to share with you other places in the Bible where immediately following someone being forgiven of their sins and receiving salvation, that they also received the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we read of a man named Cornelius, the centurion who had a vision. In that vision, he was told to send for Peter. And listen to what happened at his home, Cornelius' home, when Peter, along with both Jews and Gentiles, were present. 
in Acts 10, 44 through 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. When Paul was in Ephesus, he ran into some followers of Christ. Listen to what happened in Acts 19, one through seven. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. I want you to see two things that happened not only to those 120 that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, but in both of these other examples that I've presented to you as well. First, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and secondly, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you may say, well, that's good and fine, Pastor David, but what does that have to do with me? Well, just like those that we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit will open a floodgate of power that you desperately need in your life and that maybe you have never experienced before. It's a power to overcome your flesh. It is a, it is a power to live a Christ-like and a godly life. It is a power that gives you the ability to forgive the unforgivable. It is a power to give you the ability to speak or the ability to look past someone's sin and the roughness that surrounds them and to see that they are in desperate need of a relationship with Jesus. It's a power that gives you the ability to be kind to someone even though they don't seem to be worthy of the kindness that you are giving to them. And most importantly, just like with Peter, it's a power that gives you the ability to be a witness for Christ Jesus. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with an endowment of power that is so special, and yet it is so needed in our lives today, especially in the world that we're living in. But first, you've gotta be saved. You gotta receive the salvation that only Christ offers. And then Jesus, your Lord and Savior, wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And many people would say, well, if God wants to give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then he'll just do that. And my response to you would be, aren't you glad you didn't feel that way about your salvation? God wanted to save you more than you wanted to be saved. The Bible says that he wishes that none would perish. He desires that all would have eternal life through Christ Jesus. 
But you had to first believe in order to receive that. Well, likewise, it's God's desire for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, listen to these words from Jesus himself in Luke 11, 19 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think this scripture makes it eminently clear that God is, is ready, he is willing, he is able, and he's waiting to give you this gift. You just have to wanna to receive it. And maybe you've listened this morning and you are interested in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, now's your opportunity because today, like most every Sunday, we're gonna have a particular time of response here at this altar. We're gonna open up this altar. You come down to this altar this morning and you can seek this gift, but this altar is open to anyone for any reason. If you haven't received Jesus, if you've never received him as Lord and Savior, you've never received salvation that only he offers, you can come forward. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer of confession and belief. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the only way to God the Father. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He will. You confess that with your mouth. He will become your Lord and Savior. This altar is open to anyone who needs a physical touch for, from God. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you have received a diagnosis from the doctor. Come to this altar and seek healing from the only one who is capable of fully healing you. Perhaps you're going through a relational problem. It might be your marriage. It might be someone at work. You might be having a relational issue with someone in this body. Come to this altar. Turn it over to Jesus. Allow him to give you direction in this matter. Humble yourself. Admit that you are part of the difficulty and ask the Lord to direct you in making things right with that other person. Maybe you are spiritually dry this morning. You're running on empty. You've been feeling weak in your faith for quite some time. You're uninspired. Well, come to this altar and ask like the psalmist that, that he renew the joy of your salvation. As I mentioned earlier, if after hearing this message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is your desire to receive it, then come to this altar and ask for it. I'd like to have several members of our prayer team gather over here on the left side, if you would. They are here. If you would like assistance with them in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they will be more than happy to pray with you. The best advice, however, that I can give you as you come to this altar is to come here with great expectancy and take all of those thoughts that you think you know about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and wipe them out of your mind and allow him to do a work in you the likes that you have never experienced before. Tell the Lord that you want this gift and praise him in your own words. So while the worship team sings, if you have any need, you wanna come forward to this altar, please feel free to do so. We're gonna pray with those at the altar 
and then we will close the service in one final prayer. Scott. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. Like a search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. There is none like you, Lord. There is none like search for all eternity long and find there is none like you your mercy flows like a river wide healing comes from your hand
at the altar continue to pray and they are welcome to stay here as long as they want I'd like you to stand to your feet let's close this service in prayer so you can get on our way today precious Father we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit thank you that you did not leave us as orphans but you left us the comforter you left us a strength and a power that allows us to do what we could not do in our own flesh, we can only do through the Spirit of God. Pray that those who have come forward to receive the baptism, Father, that will receive it today. And if they don't, Father, they would not be discouraged, that it will come in time as they continue to seek you. But God, that it will make a difference, that they will, they will sense a profound difference in their walk, in their strength, in their ability to do the things that you've called them to do. Pray that'd be the heart's cry of this entire body that we would all desire to do greater things than we have done up to this point. That we'd make a greater impact for your kingdom here in this community, in our families, within our, our circle of influence. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct all of our steps as we go our separate ways today. Pray that you would be with the things we talk about, the conversations that we have, the places we go, the people we hang out with, God, that we would be bright lights in this very dark world. You would give us opportunities to share your goodness with others. That they would sense the love of Jesus within us and they would come to us and ask us what is the deal <laughs> and we can explain your goodness to them. I pray for an opportunity for every one of us this week, Lord God. And when that opportunity comes, let us not shy away from it, but walk boldly through that door and know that you will guide and direct us through the power of your spirit. God, I ask between now and the next time we gather together, you would keep us safe from any sickness and disease. You would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us. So we can gather together again as a family and worship you in spirit and truth. I thank you for your presence here, Holy Spirit, today. I thank you that you are always there. And I thank that you are there to guide and direct us and strengthen us. My prayer is that we would all reach out. We would ask for your guidance every moment of every day. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here. My Holy Spirit is here today. My Holy Spirit is hovering over you. Open your mouth and receive from me what I have for you. I love you, my children. That was someone speaking in tongues. But it was a message for all of us because the Bible says that if we speak tongues in a public service, a service like this, that there's to be an interpretation. 
You can speak in tongues. It, it, it uplifts you. It benefits you, but it does nothing for those around us. So our sister had a message in tongues, and there was an interpretation so that we could understand it. If you did not hear her, the Holy Spirit said, I am here. I am in your midst. Open your mouths and receive what I have for you. That was a message from the throne room of God. That's why many are down here praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As I said, I want to leave this altar open as long as these people want to pray here. If you still want to come down to this altar, please feel free to. If you want to exit the building, you can do that as well. But I would like to thank you for coming this morning. God bless you all.